Welcome to the Texas Values Report. I hope you're having a great weekend. We are really excited for today's show. We have a very special guest. He's a dynamic presenter. I heard him back in October, uh, Mr. Sean Carney, uh, who's one of the stoic leaders of 40 Days for Life, a very important organization that you should get involved in once you learn about it in today's show. But thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, And Sean, thank you for coming on our show today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. For sure. And I'll just tell our viewers a little bit about your background, which of course is very extensive, but all of it is very interesting and very important to the work that you do. Um, You began your pro-life advocacy when you were in college and you were at College Station. Uh, We'll forgive you for that. But after you graduated from... (laughs) There's no forgiveness uh, needed. (laughs) Yeah. After you graduated from that school, you know, down there, uh, you became the executive director of Coalition for Life, a local pro-life organization in Texas made up of more than 60 churches. And from its beginning, Sean has been instrumental in growing 40 Days for Life nationally and internationally. Beginning in 2007, Sean helped to expand 40 Days for Life as a national and international movement. And today, 40 Days for Life has been done in 956 cities in all 50 states and 64 countries. His efforts have helped mobilize more than 1 million pro-life volunteers over the last 14 years. And you may remember the very important story uh, that we all know from a very important movie, Unplanned, where Sean was there when a very uh, unknown at the time, a Planned Parenthood director turned her life around in moments and became who we know now as Abby Johnson. Uh, so thank you for being on our show. Good to be here. Good to be here. And I'm, I've, I am an Aggie, and I know that that can be controversial at times. But um, I have a good buddy, and he's a Longhorn and but civil and a nice guy and and i told him i said you know because all of his friends are aggies i said you know how obnoxious aggies are more than any other human on earth and and he agreed with that so okay (laughs) well you're very pleasant you know to talk to and so we appreciate aggies you know if they're doing the right thing and you're an aggie who's doing the right thing so we can accommodate that for today there we go our viewers who may or may not be familiar with 40 Days for Life, can you just talk about um, what your group does and how it got started? Yeah, we started in College Station in 2004. Um, Planned Parenthood had built the first and only abortion facility in College Station. And and we really just saw our abortion numbers going up, our volunteers going down. Uh, the local pro-life movement was kind of fizzling out. Everybody's getting tired. They're doing more abortions. I guess it's here to stay. You know, all those natural things that happen and that the abortion industry hopes happens when they go into a new city. And uh, so we just prayed and decided we were going to go all in for 40 days and did 40 days of prayer, 40 days of fasting and 40 days of a nonstop peaceful vigil outside of our local Planned Parenthood abortion facility. And that was the first 40 days for life campaign. And other cities started asking us what we did, how we did it. We kind of helped them uh, do their own little campaign. And then in 2007, we launched it uh, as a national effort, and we had 89 cities in 33 states in the fall of oh, 2007. Wow. So, and that led to the Lent campaign. So, every year we have a fall campaign and a Lent campaign for 40 straight days where people are peacefully and uh, civilly praying outside of abortion facilities uh, around the world. And it's gone now to a thousand cities in 64 countries. Wow, that's really amazing, especially, you know, in that short amount of time and 2007 
uh, really isn't that long ago. But you think about that short amount of time, you can really move people to see the sanctity of life and move them to want to do something about it too. So that's very inspiring. Now, I think most of our viewers, mostly all of our viewers, you know, are Christian and they understand the significance of 40 days, but can you explain, you know, why 40 days that you pray outside the abortion clinics? Why that number? Yeah. I mean, how God uses that number throughout scripture. Uh, Christ himself uses it in, in the desert. And, you know, we need radical transformation and we're fickle and we're frail and we're wimps uh, like a lot of the apostles were, <laughs> you know, we just were with our Lord one moment and then we're running off the next. And that's why we have this time frame, 40 days. And our Lord was very uh, smart in using that. It has a start and it has a finish. And so many people said, look, I would never go out and pray at an abortion facility. I don't do that kind of thing. But if you say, can you go Wednesday, October 10th at 10 a.m., it just becomes doable and something that now you can kind of overcome your, your natural fear of that. And so 40 Days for Life, we've been very blessed. We've had a, a million volunteers. And it's always surprising to me because 30% of them tell us that this was their first pro-life activity. And yeah. it wasn't mine. You know, I went to a right. pregnancy resource banquet. That's much more comforting. And there's bathrooms yeah. and everybody loves each other and all <laughs> that good stuff. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I think it's the challenge of 40 Days for Life that has helped it grow. Yeah, I, I think that's really good. I've heard stories too of people you know, going to the 40 days for life prayer vigils and that being kind of their eye-opening experience, um, not just to the pro-life movement, but also to the horrors of abortion and just kind of the reality that this is something that is still happening. Um, you know, even if they've never had a personal experience or known someone who's at an abortion to be outside that clinic and to see, you know, I've heard stories where they said they saw young girls go in and it's just, heartbreaking for them to see that up front, but also encouraging to be around like-minded people praying. Well, speaking of, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it, it's so true and it's the power of presence and the abortion industry needs to go unnoticed. This is still, right. you know, the, the, the medical surgery that requires constant justification, constant rationalization, and they don't want to be black or white. They want to be gray and blend in and be unnoticed. And when you go out there and you peacefully pray, you know, if you pray in front of a Chick-fil-A because you don't like what they do to the chickens, which whatever they do to the chickens, I want them to keep doing because it's delicious. Yeah. But you're, people are going to think, that's ah, weird, but whatever. But you're going to impact their business at Chick-fil-A a little bit. But at Planned Parenthood, everybody knows that the controversy is already there. The workers feel it internally. It's natural uh, to, to have that tension when you drive by and you say, that's an abortion facility. Even people who support abortion are like, oh, you know, like I've never seen one, whatever. Um, and so that really helps when, when you go out there, like a coordinated vigil in a 40 days for life. It has a tremendous impact on their bottom line. Yeah, I think that's really important to note when people see what abortion actually is, you know, their minds and hearts can be changed. But speaking of, you know, changing minds and hearts and witnessing up front that, you know, horror of abortion, uh, talk about that experience when, you know, young Abby Johnson walked into your office and basically said, you know, even though I'm the director of a Planned Parenthood, I can no longer do this. Describe that moment and how you felt uh, when that happened. Well, I was worried. 
to, to go into that exact moment when Abby walked in to, to our office, right when she, right when I saw her, she had already broken down in tears. She had been crying. So her mascara um, was, was coming off. She was a, a wreck as, as all of us would hope we would be in that scenario. And I remember the thing that everybody asked me, what do you remember the most about that moment? It was actually listening to her. Cause I said, it sounds like you've had a tough Monday and she kind of laughed and said, yes. And then she, started telling me and I'll never forget seeing her Planned Parenthood security card uh, had her her name and her title director and and I had seen her swipe that thing a thousand times you know but yeah. it was covered in her tears you know mm -hmm. and I remember thinking this is this is really happening and I was worried I was worried for her uh, because she was extremely naive on how badly they were going to come after her these are my friends she was still kind of saying those things and they were her friends at that moment, but they were about to become extreme enemies. And uh, I had seen that before from Planned Parenthood. And so Abby was very young. I was young. I'll say younger in case she's watching that. But, um, it, you know, it, it was really um, her, that whole scene and her story represents that we can throw out all this garbage that you have your opinion and I have mine and we're so divided. And it's the sterile existence where abortion's here to stay and we just need to get over it as they tell us to do, uh, we don't operate like that. We're, we're, uh, our hearts are capable of great evil, uh, but they're also capable of great sanctity if we allow them to be. And we are hearts, minds, and souls. And Abby's story represents that, that she can change. And I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. I didn't know her parents were pro-life and disapproved of her working there. I didn't know Doug was pro-life. You know, so it's not our job to know. It's our job to show up and be faithful and to entrust this grave evil to uh, the mercy of the gospel. And, and her story represents people change, people turn around, people quit, people don't have an abortion, people repent after having one, people repent after participating in one. You know, we, we, we are pilgrims and we pro-lifers need to look at abortion workers and those going in for abortions as people on a journey. They're in a very dark part of their journey, whether they acknowledge that or not is irrelevant. But we need to know that and we need to go out and offer hope. Yeah, I think that's really good. That's really beautiful how you said they're on a journey. And so they can get to that point where they become pro-life. And I think that's really needed where we're headed as a country. We could see the end to, to abortion this summer, but where does the public stand? Can we get more support for pro-life? Can we get more women saying, okay, that encourages me you know, to give life to my child? But we have to work on those hearts and minds, you know, along with the legislation and along with the law. Um, but I think that's a beautiful way to put it that, you know, they're on a journey. They're lost, you know, just like we become Christians. They're lost. And then we just bring them on that journey to where they can see the sanctity of life. But, and Roe, yeah. it's a great point you made because Roe highlights, I think Roe v. Wade will be overturned this summer and hopefully, mm -hmm. and then it will be sent back to the States and it, it won't end abortion, but it'll change the geography of it. It'll end it in the great state of Texas. But uh, our work becomes more important than ever at the grassroots. You have these idiot governors and mayors saying we will be an abortion safe haven, whatever that means. Uh, if, if Roe is overturned and they're going to build abortion facilities where mm -hmm. Texas is trying to get Tesla and Charles Schwab and all these companies to come to Texas and, uh, you know, other states are recruiting abortionists, um, you, you know, you're going to have that. But people need to remember that what you said is true. It's not the legality 
of abortion that makes it so awful. It's the fact that half our country desires it and sees it as a good. And it, it's at, that's the broken heart. That is our, that is our broken yeah. nature that we have got to, to tend to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it can be difficult, though, to try to get people over to our side. And like you said, it takes a lot of grassroots. But you recently wrote a book called What to Say When, The Complete Guide to Discussion Abort discussing abortion. And I think that's a book that's really needed. I've talked to a lot of people who do lower level charity pro-life work, but even talking to them, sometimes they say, Ooh, I struggle, you know, talking about the heartbeat law, or I struggle explaining to a stranger, you know, why they should, you know, be at this pro-life event. So even people, their hearts are in the right place, but for everyone and like with every issue, you kind of need help and guidance in actually being that, you know, promoter of truth. So talk about your book and how that can help people talk about their pro-life views. Absolutely. I didn't really want to write the book. I, <laughs> I It was kind of a boring topic for me because I thought oh, no. everybody knows what to say. And it really was years of people telling me just our, our 40 days for life folks, but also even family members or close friends where they would say like, hey, what do you say in case of rape or overpopulation? And I'm like, you just say that. Everybody knows that. And they're like, nobody knows that. You should, you know, and really when COVID hit, we decided to take a swing at it and it took off. And I've, I've been very happy uh, with the response because you don't want to write a, a book like that and, and nobody read it. But it was a number one Amazon bestseller for Christian books, which we were shocked at uh, new release. And so it was, it was really crazy because we do cover the old traditional arguments, but those are so dated. And one of the motivators that Steve and I had was things have just gotten a little weird. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, gone are the days of safe, legal and rare. Bill Clinton's famous line. That's a joke. Now we have infanticide. Right. We're denying health care to baby girls who, you know, commit the crime of surviving the attempt on their life. And, and we're not we're going to walk away and let them suffocate. And Governor Northam articulates that on the radio as if he's some kind of hero. It's insane. We have the forced birth arguments. We have uh, surrogacy, which is a huge threat to the future uh, mm -hmm. of our country. We have all of these weird things, to put it in layman's terms, that a lot of people are like, I have no idea if that comes up, or, you know, what to say. But we also cover uh, rape and Planned Parenthood, and, and you'll get everything in what to say when. It's 177 pages, I think. Um, so it's, it's a readable book. You, we give you specifically what to say. We also have a chapter on what not to say. Um, <laughs> and, and it, it, you know, the opening chapter of that book is go on offense. You know, we, we, in this movement say defend life, cause that's the easiest phrase to use, but, but obviously life doesn't need defending. Uh, we don't need to justify our 10 year old girls. 10, 10 year old, you know, birthday party and why we had cake and why we had balloons and arguing of why that was so good. Everybody's like, yeah, you had a birthday party. Birthdays are, are good. Uh, T-ball is good. You know, uh, dancing with your daughters in the kitchen is good. Life is good. Abortion requires constant justification. And so we need to go on offense, not aggressively and like a know-it-all jerk, but uh, we need to ask questions and we take people through that I, I've just been amazed. I mean, the abortion workers included, they really don't know what they're talking about. And, and, and so it, this is not some like Harvard, you know, yeah. medical school textbook. This is, it is amazing. This is why people change their mind on abortion because it's built on a lie. It's the most anti-science position you could possibly have in our country right now when we're all supposed to follow the science. And um, 
and it's a crisis of the heart. So we cover both. How do you share the truth and love on this issue when you're on a bus or at Thanksgiving with your family? Yeah, that's really good. It's funny how you said, you know, follow the science. I mean, there are a lot of positions out there, especially on different issues we work on where it's just contrary to science and, you know, common sense. But, you know, people can be so hard on that. They hear these repetitive arguments like forced birth, like you said. Um, Do they really believe that? Probably not. But they repeatedly (laughs) say these things. Uh, They repeatedly tweet these things. And you know, forced you birth is fun. That's my yeah. favorite new pro-abortion argument because they don't know what it is. I don't know what the heck it is. It was funny. I, I did an ABC interview and the guy, he took me all through all these questions in the book and the arguments. Okay. Like, oh, yeah. he even stopped the camera. And he's like, oh, you know, you really have the answers. This is this. I've never heard this before. And I support abortion, you know, blah, blah, blah. And oh, then he wow. said, my final question, what is what he said, what about forced birth? And it was just like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Like I was supposed to just put my head down and run off in shame. And I started laughing. I said, what is forced birth? Yeah. And he goes, well, I mean, I don't know. I just saw it on the internet. Yeah. Oh, good. He was honest enough, but they don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It sounds exciting. It sounds good. It sounds like we're evil. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. But that's such a good example of just things that they say, but people uh, buy into it, I guess, because it's said so often. Um, And I think people are so determined to push abortion, especially the industry that they just pick these terms that they think will catch on and sound evil, sound ominous, and they don't really know what it means. So it's always good to know that the logic is on our side. And I actually might get that book for a friend. Recently, she went to a young professional event and she was talking about her pro-life views and she came back to me with some things that were said um you know about the economic situation of a woman and then I told her about like all these pregnancy resource centers and all these programs in the states and she was like oh I know that but I just didn't think about it you know I just got stuck when someone came back with a response you know that was pro-abortion and I didn't know what to do so I think this book is good to just prepare you with confidence that you do have the logical response to the pro-abortion side. But, you know, that said, I think everyone should get involved as they're developing their opinions. Um, And we just finished the 40 Days for Life season not too long ago, and that's one way people can get involved in the pro-life movement. But what are some other ways that people can get involved? Well, certainly with your local pregnancy resource center. um, I mean, I, I, I love them. We work the closest with them. Um, we're not a lobbying group. And so we're, we're grassroots and we get women away from the abortion facility and we, we work with the the local pregnancy resource center. So that's a great thing to do. You can certainly get involved with 40 days for life. We have a a wonderful podcast in our opinion, uh, that people can, can download. If you don't want to buy the book or buy anything, the podcast is free and we got a lot of good, uh, helpful things in that. Um, but we need to do something. I think it would be a huge mistake for, people of conscience or, or any kind of Christian who's frustrated with our culture to be on the sidelines during this, this exciting but pivotal point in our history. The, the Supreme Court has dehumanized a segment of our population twice, and it took a civil war the first time, and then they had a break. And the, now it's not the color of their skin. 
It's their size and location. And we didn't ask for this. Women didn't vote on this. This was an all-male Supreme Court that mandated abortion, and it has been a tragic, evil disaster. And all they're doing, there's no heroes on the Supreme Court if they overturn Roe v. Wade. This is exactly what they should do. It's their error. Most of the big Supreme Court victories in our country are them simply fixing their errors. They're kind of the necessary evil of our federal government, and they need to do that. It's been a great atrocity. And so, you know, when Roe is overturned, I think obviously it goes back to the states and some states are going to have abortion forever. You know, I don't think the the best pro-life lobbyist I know is not going to New Jersey or New York or Illinois or California and, and, and ending abortion. It's going to take longer than 50 years in those states. But you can close an abortion facility there. And you can uh, show a woman where there's uh, other uh, alternatives. And you can also show the dire wrong side of history that those who continue to support abortion will be on. Um, And it's amazing. It's going to be exciting to see, you know, we're so polarized, but over time, typically about 80% of women that had an abortion say they they actually wouldn't have done it if it were illegal. Oh, wow. yeah, um, which is a, a surprising statistic to me. And so, you know, we need to hope and pray and nudge the Supreme Court that they do the right thing. And if they don't, we're in big, big trouble. It's here to stay, and it changes the battle on that end. And 40 Days for Life is ready for both those scenarios, but it's um, it's definitely a good time to be praying. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you are a Texan, and we've yes. talked a lot about if Roe v. Wade is overturned, but what are your thoughts on the Texas heartbeat law and its effectiveness in essentially ending abortion, all abortion yeah. in Texas? It's great. <laughs> it's great because, and, and we hit a lot of this kind of stuff in, in the book, what to say when, but the fun thing, I think, as a pro-life leader that ha- is a Texan and happens to live in Texas is sort of the awkward position that the heartbeat bill has put the pro-abortion community in because mm-hmm. now they have to they, they and they are doing it. They are advocating against heartbeats. Right. <laughs> I mean, you go to the grocery store and you buy like the little bran flakes and they have like the heart healthy thing right. or a can of tuna. <laughs> we got hearts everywhere. We spend a lot of money and listen to a lot of people to keep our hearts beating. You exactly. know, beating hearts are actually a good thing. And that's not a profound statement. You know, we have so many heart disease, the number one killer after abortion so so you're sitting here going this is an injustice you know we're gonna just let the little dude have a heartbeat you know he's only eight weeks he's gonna end up a drug addict you know we're just writing people off and trying to stop their hearts from beating so it was brilliantly written and and it was good and it it brings back the common sense this is the only surgery you're not supposed to survive and if i wish that this was like getting your wisdom teeth out and people like us could just apologize to these doctors who are willing to do abortions in this legitimate field of medicine called abortion. And we're like harassing women outside of clinics and all that would be true. And we'd be like, sorry, this is like getting your wisdom tooth out. Um, But it's not because biology and science tells us that it's not. Abortion is in fact the opposite. It does what it claims to do and says that it will do and, and is designed to do which is violently in the life of an unrepeatable human being and discard them in a canister. That's what it does. And we can ignore it. We can say, you know, that we don't like the heartbeat bill. You can say all these things, but the reality is that if there's no heartbeat, 
then then you don't need an abortion. If if it's not a baby, you don't need an abortion. If life doesn't begin at conception, you don't need an abortion uh, because conception is where we get people. Uh, it's where right. where we all came from. So um, you know, it, it's it's one of those just you have these conversations. You're like, are we are we talking about this? Like, how, you know. It, it's it's so insane that it, it makes it easy to point out. And I, I think also it's a gateway for sort of another top-down movement in our culture, which is all this trans stuff. You know, the the arguments, it's not arguments against it. It's you can, you can say you're the Easter bunny. You can say you're a boy when you're a girl or you're a girl when you're a boy. And, and part of it just doesn't matter. You know, like you, and, and, and there's, there's two groups. There's the people who are actually confused and it, it comes from abuse. It comes from, you know, there's all the evidence that shows some of these people are truly suffering and we need to minister to them. Uh, but a lot of them are just making the stuff up and it's top down. It's a very top down movement, like the abortion movement. Yeah, for sure. So it should give us hope in these cultural things that, you know, we can speak the truth in love and our truth is may sound silly to us um, that heartbeats are good, but it's needed in, in these uh, uncertain times. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for all your thoughts on an encouragement on the Texas heartbeat law. Now we might be a little over time and, but I wanted to ask one more question. Do you think the person who plays you on unplanned looks like you? <laughs> <laughs> I just always wanted to know. <laughs> yeah. Jared, Jared is his name, which okay. is funny because my brother in real life uh, is Jared. Oh, and- okay. Jared, who played me, looks more like my brother. Okay. Uh, so it was, sure. it was great. He did a great job, and he was one of the last ones. There was a guy that was going to play me, and he, he bailed for another movie, and they got Jared to play me. He did a great job, and uh, we had a lot of conversations, obviously. And he told me, he's like, when he first called me, he said, I have watched every interview or YouTube video of you the last few weeks. And I was like, that just sounds like torture. <laughs> he had to go on like a Sean Carney crash course. But uh, yeah, he did a good job and it was, uh, it was a great journey and honor to be part of the movie. And, uh, as Abby and I have said, it's still weird being portrayed in a movie. It's, it's a very overrated thing. I think that people look at, but it is strange to, to have happen. And, and I'm glad that it happened in this beautiful story. All right. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today, Sean. And we just pray for the work you do and thank you for all that you do in the pro-life movement. Thank you. Likewise, keep up the great work. We're going to we're going to win. All right. Sounds great. Now, I know I'm going a little over time, but I do have a few things to keep you updated with for Texas values. So on May 7th, we have local elections. Make sure you go to TXValuesAction.org to check for our endorsements. Uh, check to see if your child in Austin ISD has gotten updates on sex ed. They are starting to do plans for sex ed in kindergarten. Uh, so they will be having meetings on that for the shack. Remember, because of the new laws, the shacks have to record their meetings and they have to allow you to testify. So if you're in Austin ISD, please get involved. And of course, don't forget our June 1st Heartbeat Law event. Uh, that'll be happening. You can go to ourprolifemoment.com to reserve your tickets. Thank you so much for being with us on our podcast and show today and have an awesome weekend.